We all say that we want this world to change. We all say that. You know, back in 2006, John Mayer lamented, me and my friends, we're all misunderstood. They say we stand for nothing and there's no way we ever could. Now we see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it. And we just feel that we don't have the means to rise above and beat it. And so we keep waiting, waiting for the world to change. But you know that John Mayer was not the first to want the world to change. In fact, in a track that was said to be one of the loudest and most aggressive Beatles songs with an overdriven guitar and a driving drum beat from Ringo Starr and a ferocious scream from John Lennon, we hear, you say you want a revolution? Well, you know, we all want to change the world. Friends, every generation expresses it in some way, shape, or form. Often in our music, we're waiting impatiently for the world to change. We're waiting impatiently for a revolution to begin. We say we want the world to change. And that's just how it was at the time of Israel, in Jesus' time. They were oppressed by Rome, and the patience of people was running out. The people wanted a revolution. They wanted the world to to change. And with Jesus coming, people were waiting on the world to change. And it was kind of like the old Westerns. They were waiting for a new sheriff to come in and to clean up this town. And with Jesus' arrival, people are saying, finally, there's a new king coming. He's going to clean up this town. He's going to bring change. He's going to start a revolution. And so just like John Mayer and the Beatles and many others, they sang their own ancient protest song all the way from Psalm 118. Save us, we pray. Hosanna, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is a Latinized transliteration of the Hebrew phrase Hashiana, which means please save or save now. Save us. Start the revolution. Change the world. Friends, we say we want a revolution. We say we want change. But do we really? Do we understand what we're asking for? Did they understand what they sang? Do we truly want what we actually most need? Did they and do we truly desire a king and the change that he's going to bring? Once the revolution began, would those people still be singing? You know, you say you want a revolution and that you're waiting on the world to change, but Do you understand? Do we understand what we're asking for? Because once a new king rides into town and starts to clean things up and starts the revolution, will we still be singing that same song? And asking that, let's pray together. Lord, as we open your word, and as we remember Jesus, the new king who rode into town, as we remember the revolution that he came to begin, And the change that he came to bring. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. But even more than that, might we dare to ask that you change us. Start your revolution, Lord. Start it in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Turn in your Bible to Matthew 21 in the Pew Bible. That's page 7. 75 in the large print pew Bible. That's page 981. So again, open your Bibles, your Bible apps or the pew Bible and join me in Matthew chapter 21. 
Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1, says, Now when they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him, and that followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written that my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you've prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Now, this is one, one of the few events that we actually find recorded in all four of the Gospels, which emphasizes its importance. All four of the Gospels have some account of this, which is sometimes called the triumphal entry or the entry on Palm Sunday. The Jews of Jesus' day said that they ardently longed after a Messiah, a conquering king, one who would start the revolution, the one who would change the world. At least they really wanted somebody to change the world in the way they thought it needed to be changed. You see, because they thought that their biggest problem was Rome. At that time, Israel was oppressed by Rome. Since 63 BC, when the Roman general Pompey conquered Israel, the Jews had been oppressed by the Romans. The Romans had forced the Israelites to do things that no devout Jew would have ever done, such as eating pork and paying tribute and worshiping Caesar. They forbade circumcision. In short, the Romans, they were trying to outlaw or seduce the Jews out of Judaism. And moreover, the Romans violently suppressed any rebellion. You know, the, the Christmas story, the, the one that we never see featured on a greeting card. You know, King Herod around the years between 6 and 4 BC ordered all of the boys under the age of two to be killed. Because Magi, wise men from the east, had shown up saying they were seeking a baby king. Now, Herod wasn't going to have any baby Messiah being born who was going to grow up to be some political king and start a revolution because he knew the time was ripe. It was ripe for a revolution, and he wasn't going to have it. Twelve years after that happened, there was a man, Zadok the Pharisee, who led a revolution in and around Jerusalem, and over 2,000 of his followers were killed because of that revolution, crucified, 
along about 20 miles of road. And as of the Passover that we read about in today's account, when Jesus came riding into town, there had been 32 political riots in five years in Jerusalem. Can you imagine if there had been 32 political riots in Washington, D.C. over the course of the last five years? Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and the world is anxiously waiting for a change. The world is ripe for a revolution. The world is longing for a new king to come into town, a Messiah. And when he came, it was believed that this new king, this Messiah, was going to change the world the most important way the people thought it needed to be changed. They thought the king was going to overthrow the Roman rule so that Israel could be free. And so here's Jesus. He does ride into town. He rides into town as the new king. He did come to start a revolution. He did come to change the world. However, once his revolution gets started, once he begins cleaning up this town, once he begins making the changes that he believes need to be made, are the people still going to be so excited about the coming of this new king? You know, we heard today in today's text that Jesus had made arrangements ahead of time for his entry into Jerusalem. He knew that this was a festival, and with the busy festival, the local enterprise rent-a-donkey would be sold out. So Jesus had purposefully arranged ahead of time for an unridden donkey, which Matthew notes was a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus had made arrangements that he might ride into Jerusalem on this unridden donkey. Why? Because this was the same way, first to fulfill what the prophet Zechariah had said, but this was also the same way that Solomon, the great king, was crowned king of Israel. In 1 Kings chapter 1, we read, King David said to his people, Take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule, on my own donkey. Bring him down to Gihon and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over all Israel. So just as Solomon had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey and became the anointed, which in Hebrew, the Mashiana, the Messiah, the anointed one, the anointed king. So now Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey in kingly fashion because he, too, is about to be anointed the Messiah, the king. And we read that as Jesus enters Jerusalem, the crowd was singing traditional festival songs. The Hallel is the term used to designate Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. It's a part of the Jewish religious liturgy, and they were all expressions of thanksgiving and joy. They celebrated God's redeeming and saving actions. And Psalm 118 was the final psalm in this collection, and it was considered by most to point towards that coming king, that Messiah, that anointed one. And so the crowd sang, and we heard them singing in today's reading, Hosanna, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, over time, that phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the one that you heard the choir singing today, it was perfect. 
blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, had become actually a festival greeting because they were all going up to Jerusalem, coming in the name of the Lord to celebrate. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, come. But many saw it pointing beyond any festival participant. They said the one who comes in the name of the Lord is no participant. The one who's going to come is the very anointed, the Mashiana, the Messiah. The one who comes in the name of the Lord, he's going to be the one who's going to clean up this town, who's going to start a revolution, who's going to change the world. And we call this day Palm Sunday because as we read, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the festival celebrants, they shouted these words from Psalm 118 and chanted the other Hallel Psalms, and they also waved palm branches, it says. Now, since the Maccabean revolt, which happened 175 years before this, the palm branch had become a national banner or, or a flag of Israel. You see, 175 years before Jesus rode into Jerusalem, through a series of raids and military campaigns, a man by the name of Judah Maccabee and his army of rebels were victorious over Antiochus Epiphanes, Epiphanes and the Syrian dynasty who had oppressed Israel. And after that victory, the Maccabees entered into Jerusalem in triumph. And what the people do, they took down palm branches in celebration. And because of those palm branches, eventually Judah Maccabee had palm branches stamped on the coins that were used in the temple feasts to celebrate the victory. So the palm branch had become a symbol of Israel and a reminder, a remembrance of the great victory that the Maccabees had brought when Israel had before been oppressed. So here they are chanting these songs of deliverance. Here they are waving these palm branches, celebrating Israel, remembering Israel's deliverance before from an oppressing power and longing to be free from Rome's tyranny. Change was in the air. They were ripe for a revolution. Many anxiously were awaiting a new king to ride into town, the Messiah, who was going to change the world. And they believed that what he was going to do was what they thought most needed to happen. He was going to drive out the Romans, just like Judah Maccabee drove out the Syrians. So you say you want a revolution. They did. But did they want the revolution this king was going to bring? What kind of a revolution did Jesus come to bring? How did this new king plan on cleaning up the town and changing the world? Because what if, what if the change that this king came to bring was not the change that they thought most needed to be made? What if his top priority was not Rome? You see, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, what did he do? He didn't ride to the Roman barracks and start causing trouble. No, instead, he rode into the temple and he caused trouble. He didn't ride into the heart of Roman occupation. He rode into the heart of the Jewish nation. Friends, as usual, the real problem that we face is a lot closer to home than we want to admit. The real problem that we face is much, much closer. We want to believe that the real problem with our lives and the real problem with this world is something out there. We all want to blame the Romans, the government. I want to blame my wife. You want to blame your husband, my children, my job, the system, discrimination, bad luck. Those people, it's their fault. And we want a Messiah who's going to come save us, 
who's going to change this world, meaning change those people and change those agencies and change those systems. We believe that when the new king rides into town, he means to clean them up, to start there, to start a revolution and overthrow those people, the Romans. We want conquered and changed and overthrown everything except me. We delude ourselves into believing that our biggest problem is out there. But friends, our biggest problem is not out there. While we all want a Messiah who will conquer the Romans and not conquer us. Friends, we need to be conquered. So who are the Romans that you blame? Who are the Romans that you blame for the problems in your life? From whom or from what are are you crying out for a Messiah to rescue you? Uh, You're looking for a king to deliver you. What are you looking for that king to deliver you from? Because Jesus is a king and he has ridden into town. But what if he's come to clean up the town in a way that you don't expect? What if he begins where you don't want him to begin? What if he begins not by changing them, but by changing you? You know, now, most Bibles in this section have a heading above verse 12. It says something like Jesus cleanses the temple. However, remember, these headings, they aren't in the original text. So unlike the biblical text itself, these headings are not infallible. And this particular heading is downright misleading. You know, because the idea that Jesus here was just cleansing the temple, it might lead you to believe that his goal was to cleanse the temple so it would now function properly. But that wasn't Jesus' intention at all. Jesus was starting a revolution. He was overthrowing the temple. He was bringing change. You heard what Jesus said. He quoted first the Lord who spoke through the prophet Isaiah in 50, Isaiah 56, 7. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. He said, my temple is supposed to be a light to the nations, a place where the nations, where all people can come and worship, a place of connection and relationship, a place of being right with God. However, instead of being such a place, he said, what's the temple become? Has it become a place of right relationship and fellowship with the Lord? Or has it become a place where people think they could come and dupe God and escape his judgment? You see, he references the words of the prophet, prophet Jeremiah when he says it's a den of robbers. Listen to the full context of what the Lord spoke through Jeremiah saying. Will you steal Murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you've not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered? Only to go on doing these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. You see, the people were acting as though they could live like a people without a king. And they could live however they wanted and then just show up in the temple, perform a couple of sacrifices and be forgiven. You know, just like robbers hide in their den and they find safety and comfort and solace in their den. So people were running to the temple to find safety and comfort and solace, but not repenting. They thought, I can sacrifice a couple of animals, cover my sins and continue committing them. That there's, there's a way to come to God regardless of your heart or your motives. And so Jesus, the Messiah, shows up and he says, no. 
No. There's a new king, and he's here to clean up this town. You said you wanted a revolution. You said you wanted change. And Israel, I'm here to bring you change. And I'm here to tell you your biggest problem isn't Rome. Your biggest problem, Israel, is Israel. We have met the enemy. And it is us. And friends, this is the message to you and to me. Our biggest problem is not out there. Our biggest problem is not the Romans, whoever the Romans are in your life. Your biggest problem is right here. It's you. You say you want a revolution, that you're waiting for the world to change. But when Jesus rides into town, as he does on Palm Sunday, he's not going to begin where you want him to begin. He's not going to begin by changing them. He's going to address your real problem. And your real problem is not with the Romans. Your real problem is not something outside you. It's something within you. Jesus hasn't come to fix things for us. He's come to fix us. And like Jesus did that first Sunday, he's come to start a revolution, to overthrow and destroy those places and those practices in your life that lull you into that false sense of security. Those things that allow you to believe that regardless of your heart and of repentance, you can just continue and be covered. Jesus has come to overthrow everything that makes us feel better without actually making us better. You know, through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord chastised his religious leaders. And he said, they've healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And this is exactly what Jesus came to start a revolution against. He's come to overthrow every religion and philosophy that says, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Those things that make us feel better about ourselves in our sin, rather than delivering us from our sin. Those things that allow us to remain as we are, kings of our own life, and never submit to the king of all life. Friends, what is that for you? What are those things that you look to to make you feel really spiritual or safe that that allow you to never actually submit yourself to the new king who's ridden into town? How are you resisting the revolution, the revolution that Jesus has come to bring, resisting the change that the king wants to make happen? How do you try to reject his meddling in your business and in your life? How are you content to feel good rather than become good? To feel at peace rather than to actually be at peace with God? How do you say you're waiting for the world to change while resisting change yourself? You see, this, Jesus, he's not the type of Messiah that Israel actually wanted because he's not the type of Messiah that we want either. We don't want a Messiah that's going to mess with us. We want a Messiah that's going to mess with them, with the Romans. Who's going to change them? But our greatest enemy, the one that needs to be overthrown, is not the Romans. It's our sinful and rebellious hearts. Because, friends, even if all the Romans were removed from your life, even if your husband listened and your wife respected you, even if your children were perfect and your boss was reasonable, even if your physical and relational brokenness were healed and your social disc- the social discrimination against you was gone, even if the chains of your struggle and addiction fell off and your luck always went your way, even if every Roman was conquered and subdued, there's still a problem and that problem is in you. Jesus rides into town and rides into your heart to clean up this town. 
to begin a revolution that throws you off the throne, to be crowned king of your life, and to start changing your life and eventually bring change to your whole world. No, this is not the Messiah that any one of us here wants, but this is the Messiah that we need. Friends, the gospel, the good news is summarized well in the declaration that we sang many times this morning. Jesus is Lord. The angels will cry, hail the lamb who is slain for the world, rule in power. The earth will reply, you shall reign as the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. We will cross every border, we'll throw wide every door, joining our hands across the nations, and we will proclaim that Jesus is Lord. That declaration that Jesus is Lord challenges every other Lord and God that would set itself up in this world. The good news is that Jesus is Lord. That means the Romans are not Lord. That means I'm not Lord. That means popular opinion is not Lord. That means the intelligentsia are not Lord. That means self-righteous legalism is not Lord. That means my sin is not my Lord. That means the spirit of this age is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And he has come to begin a revolution to overthrow me and to overthrow everything else that would set itself up as Lord and Savior. Friends, a new king has ridden into town and he's going to begin making changes and he's not going to begin out there. He's going to begin right here. The change that he wants to bring is change in you. And the question is, how will you respond? In this account, what do we see? We see the blind and the lame. The blind men saw him. The lame stood up to greet him, and the foolish children were wise enough to welcome and celebrate his coming. But the powerful and prideful, they were too blind and too foolish to receive this king. They resisted the revolution. They resisted his coming. And so the question is, how do you respond? Are you weak and foolish enough to receive him? Or will you resist him and his coming and the change that he wants to bring? No, it's not the revolution that you wanted. But friends, I promise you, it's the revolution that you most need. Friends, a new king has come to clean up this town. And by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross on Good Friday, he's made, made a way that our hearts and that our sins can be cleansed. And by his resurrection on Easter Sunday, Jesus offers us new and eternal life where he is the rightful king and Lord of our life. And so what must we do? The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There it is. Jesus is Lord. The gospel declares a greater king has come. And his kingdom is above all other kingdoms. His does not bow and bend to powers, authorities, ideologies, politics of any age or any individual. This king is no respecter of persons, per, of positions or power. This is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is Lord. And the only question when we come face to face with him, when he rides into town, is how will we respond? A new king has come. And you and I might say that we want a revolution. We might say that we want change. But are we willing to submit to the one who has come to bring this unwanted revolution, this change that we most need? Church, what hinders us from living the good news that Jesus is Lord and joining wholeheartedly in his revolution? 
And friends, what stops you from today embracing the gospel and joining us in the declaration that Jesus is Lord? Are you simply going to remain content to wait for the world to change? Merely talk about revolution. Or will you receive the new king who's come to town and the revolution that he brings? Are you ready today to declare Jesus is Lord? Let's pray together. Father, submit our hearts to you. Humble us that we might make the declaration, the one that we most need to make and the one that we least want to make. That we might declare with our hearts, with our mouths, and with our lives, that I am not Lord, but Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Submit us to him now. In Jesus' name, amen.